This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Mizugai. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains! You're listening to episode 250 of Priority One Podcast, your weekly report on all things Star Trek. Recorded live on Thursday, December 3rd, 2015, and available for download or streaming on Monday, December 7th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Kenna. And in our recording studio is our awesome audio engineer, Winters. Hello, everybody. So, Kenna... We have some changes happening around these parts, don't we? Uh-huh. Why don't you why don't you tell our listeners what they can expect moving forward from this weekly show? Well, as we've mentioned before, we're expanding our content to include more of Star Trek. We'll be bringing you the latest in Trek news, commentary on your favorite Trek episodes and films, and we're introducing a new rotating segment highlighting the best of Star Trek literature, fan art, costuming, and more. Our science advisor, Dr. Robert Hurt, will be bringing us reports from the Astrometrics Lab, and of course, not forgetting, the latest developments in Star Trek Online. This week in Trek It Out, we're bringing you up to speed on the latest news from the JJ-verse, as well as a few other tidbits. In Star Trek Online news, Q's Winter Wonderland is upon us, and we're checking out the new Jupiter-class carrier. Later, Cookie and Elijah are encountering things at Farpoint, and Jace is here in the first of our monthly literary reviews. As always, we want for this to be a two-way conversation. So, we encourage you to leave us comments on our website, PriorityOnePodcast.com, or join the discussion on Facebook at our page, Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast. And, of course, you can follow us on Twitter at our new handle, at PriorityOnePod. And finally, thanks again to all our Patreon supporters, old and new, who make the show possible from week to week. Because of your support, the servers stay on, the power keeps flowing, and the team keeps producing. Help us improve the show by considering a financial contribution via our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash priority one. It's time to trek out what happened this week in Star Trek with a very special guest. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. Hey everyone, this is Tony, and welcome to Trek It Out. Tony, welcome back to Priority One Podcast. Tell me, buddy, how are things going on over in the verse? Oh, the verse is just kicking it live and well, and we're actually doing a little format change of our own over there. So if you're a fan of space sim games in general, not just Star Citizen, give us a listen after we uh, air episode 101 after the new year. Awesome, congratulations. Thanks. Changes all around the Priority One Network. Yes, indeed. Well, for this week, for my grand return to the mothership here, uh, I've scoured the net for big Star Trek news worthy of this monumental moment in Priority One's history. Sadly, 
cooperation from CBS and Paramount was not forthcoming, I guess they didn't get the memo. Uh, but I got to thinking, what's so special about 250 shows, really? I mean, all that proves is that we can make a lot of shows. It doesn't say anything about how good they are, right? Yeah. And, and we don't have much else to do with our lives. That's, that, well, that, that's true. That's another statement it makes. But beyond that, I decided that this very special Trek It Out statement would be a testament to quantity over quality. So we're going to have a lot of news. So here we go. Uh, first up, as anticipation mounts for next year's third J.J. Trek film, uh, and that other franchise thing that's coming up uh, later this month, uh, we've had a number of... Dawn of Justice? Uh, right. That's exactly what I was not talking about. Um, we've had a number of confessions from the man that brought us Star Trek into darkness. He's come on, on record uh, with some lessons learned, if you will. Uh, most importantly, Mr. Abrams issued a sort of backhanded apology for the film's homage to The Wrath of Khan. And as we've said many times on this network, homage is French for blatant ripoff. Uh, and it turns out there's some consequences for homaging too much. The producer-director confessed to having felt like he hadn't, quote, really solved some fundamental story problems, unquote, with the film. Uh, add that to the way his team treated the fans during the marketing. This is not the con you're looking for. And it seems like this film might officially be headed for that pile of Trek footage best forgotten. Don't worry, there's room right over here next to Spock's brain and Threshold. Uh, in addition to flunking the story problem lesson, Mr. Abrams got poor marks for the lens flares from Mrs. Abrams. In a Rolling Stone article that covered a Stephen Colbert interview with the filmmaker, Abrams confessed that his wife called him out when the special effect completely obscured Alice Eve's Carol Marcus from view in one scene. Because if there's one thing you don't do in filmmaking, it's block the audience's view of the hot blonde. Don't do it. Uh, next up, I know we're all sick and tired of the attention some other movie franchises are getting after a 30-year absence from film. I mean, we feel your pain, guys. It's been a whole 10 years since Star Trek went off the air, okay? But it's providing opportunities to set the record straight on a number of points, like the Abrams confession uh, earlier. Well, likewise, we now have scientific proof that the USS Enterprise is better than the Millennium Falcon. Booyah! Yeah. It's scientific because a scientist said so. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh-huh. Neil deGrasse Tyson, as a matter of fact. Yeah. In a Q&A session for his Star Talk podcast, he stated that Enterprise had two big advantages. One, she was designed to go anywhere in the galaxy her captain, or the show's writers, uh, wanted her to, making exploration, not transportation, its primary design goal. And two, it was loaded up with scientists and engineers to actually solve the problems encountered by the crew, uh, created by the writers. Uh, plus, and this is a direct quote from a scientist, all right, quote, in a battle, the Enterprise would wipe its ass with the Millennium Falcon, I'm sorry, unquote. Science, people. Science. And last up, good news from the fan fiction world. Star Trek Renegades has successfully crowdfunded its second and third episodes on Kickstarter to the tune of nearly $380,000. In addition to the return of Tim Russ as Tuvok, the sequels will be adding a number of additional Trek vets to the cast. Stars such as Terry Farrell, somehow returning as Jadzia, Robert Beltran as Chakotay, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Sierra Lofton as Jake Sisko, and Hannah Hattay as little Molly O'Brien, but she's all grown up now. Uh, also, according to an Ask Me Anything on Reddit by Walter Koenig, spoiler alert, kids. <coughs> Chekhov will be kicking the bucket sometime during these episodes. He's hoping for a better death scene than William Shatner. Aren't we all? So there's been a lot of news 
trickling down with, with Star Trek over the last several weeks. And of course, the new series coming out in 2017. I mean, we're gearing up to a very busy 2016. Out here in the desert, you know, we've been in the desert for a decade, right? You know, but now, now, we're going to have some action. There's going to be so much stuff for people to complain about. I don't even know how we're going to handle it. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, the the apology from Abrams and and even I, it was it it was Kurtzman, right? It was Kurtzman that also apologized for it recently as well. Lindelof actually. Uh, Lindelof. I'm Lindelof. hoping for one from Kurtzman because he's the one running the new show, but he's right. been he's been unfortunately silent on the topic. I mean, it, it's a little too late. A little too late. Everybody knew that it was going to be con, right? It was like, come on, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> come on. Um. It, uh, yeah, I think it was poor choice. I don't know. Was it an Abrams choice? Was it a marketing choice? Was it somebody a higher up that said, oh, no, we should keep it secret? I don't know. I mean, th- it's different for something like this, right? Because I-, I'm, I have to make the example. I have to make the comparison is is we just saw the today on the third, unless you watched Kim, Jimmy Kimmel last night, the new trailer for Dawn of Justice. I was unaware that Doomsday was going to be a major plot point in the film. But they weren't hiding. They weren't obscuring this villain by calling it something else. It was a pleasant surprise for me. Oh, look, Doomsday. Not, oh, it's a monster that, or some character that may be something else. Because they were calling Benedict Cumberbatch's John character. Harrison, yeah. yeah, John Harrison for the longest time. But seriously, really? So honestly, for me, it's a little too, little too late. You know, the damage, unfortunately, is done. And the film is, yeah. Like I said, there's a room on the shelf next to Spock's brain and Threshold. I mean, I think that's kind of where... I mean, it's an unfortunate piece of cinema that, that it happened and we we're all just better off forgetting that it did. I mean, honestly, they kind of painted themselves into the corner, right? I mean, let's let's take the best Star Trek, really, some of the best Star Trek ever made, and let's try to redo it. I mean, you're already sort of... You're already handicapping yourself right there. And then he, he said he had problems, uh, trouble solving fundamental story problems. Maybe that's because you picked a bad story to retell. Of course, of course. Or if you're going to retell that story, don't tell it in a new way, right? Tell it in the new universe, but don't try to pigeonhole yourself into what Wrath of Khan was. Tell the story, tell it differently. It makes sense. Yeah, it wasn't a revenge story anymore. Right. Well then, have you discovered something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? A new advancement in science or tech that you'd like us to cover? Then send it over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now, let's get Mark in on the conversation to chat about what's going on in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, with the Design Your Ship competition finally completed and after weeks of waiting, the brand new Federation Jupiter-class carrier was finally made available last week. If you were quick enough to pick one up in the big Black Friday C-Store sale, it may be old news, but for those of you still thinking about it, here's what you need to know before you buy. The Tier 6 Jupiter-class carrier costs 3,000 Zen and is only available in the C-Store. It's designed with carrier functionality in mind, and with its base 52,000 hull, it's designed for durability and fleet support. Now, this is very much a science ship with good support from engineering. It boasts both commander and lieutenant science boff seating, as well as a lieutenant commander engineering slash intel, and it's all rounded out with a lieutenant tactical and a cheeky lieutenant universal. 
While there are only three fore and three aft weapons, you'll have the benefit of two hangar bays, equipped by default with Peregrine fighters, each of whom have their own phaser pulse cannons and micro photon torpedoes. Console-wise, you'll get four science consoles, three engineering and three tactical, and the fleet variant gets you an extra engineering console. The Universal Console Fleet Coordination Matrix ships as standard. Activating this console boosts your and your allies' damage and accuracy and gives you a temporary hull HP bonus to boot. But what about the starship traits? Levels 1 to 4 are all about boosting your survivability with max hull and shield HP, shield regen and hardness, plus pet XP and reduced pet recharge time. But it's level 5 we want, the insult to injury starship trait. While this trait is active, using either an Intel buff ability or a tractor beam allows your pets to use Torpedo Transport Warhead. How quaint. Beam a photon torpedo onto their bridge. Now this ship will be highly desirable for existing science captains. There's a lack of diversity in science ships out there, and this one is arguably one of the best. It'll also be good for anyone already running a phaser boat or a cruiser who wants to dabble in a carrier-type vessel. You won't have to do much customization to get a decent performance out of it at first. Of course, ultimately, if you decide to run with it, there are probably better configurations for it than a cruiser to carrier transformation, but I'll leave that advice to the science experts. So what's the verdict, guys? Is this a good result from the design your ship competition? I think it was the inevitable one, but yeah, I like the design. It's looking like a decent ship. It's actually making me want to buy it, potentially, and give a science build a go. Well, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. I think... It was last year's winter event that did the Breen Carrier, wasn't it? Yeah, that's and, right. And I did have a little fun playing around with that, but I did kind of feel like I had to do a bit too much work to get it to where I wanted. But um, this one seems like it'll actually be closer to my current fleet arbiter. So I might have a go. We'll see. I consider myself a carrier guy. I almost always re- resort or revert back to a carrier no matter what ship I'm flying. And... Uh, I, I like the carrier functionality. I've always loved the carrier functionality. Uh, it's just, it's always appealed to me. I personally am just not feeling the design. I, I am not a huge fan of the saucer section as far as aesthetics, but the stats on this look, look great. It, it, just, it does look like a good chip. I'll probably end up getting it at some point to complete my collection. But uh, does anybody know if there's customization options in the, the actual design? Or is, is there only one design? I I'm honestly, not sure. I've not actually yeah, no, seen no. it. It would make sense that there'd only be one because that's the design that everybody mm-hmm. picked. But I wasn't sure if you can kind of kit bash a couple of pieces on it or not. I suppose it's possible that the it could be from uh, the other potential uh, variants that were in the design process. But I, yeah. I don't know because I haven't got it. And I'll be like you, Skiffy. I'll probably get it at some stage. Just I haven't got it right now. The chat's the only one design. Q's Winter Wonderland is back from now until noon Pacific on January 15th. He's lined up some new things for us this year, letting those poor, cramped up gingerbread people out of their snow globe. At the top of every hour, head to the new gingerbread village area and help the gingerbread people fight off a vicious attack by the snowmen, jealous of having to share their space now in the new Cones of Conduct event. Watch out for an interesting use of snow technology in the dreaded Snowconian. The blog lays out the rest of the events as follows. 15 minutes after the hour, head to the Snow Valley and Towers area to fight off waves of Snowborg in the Tide of Ice. 30 minutes after the hour, and again at 37 minutes after the hour, rush to the start of the competitive race The Fast and the Flurious. Once again, you and your friends, 
and enemies can race across the icy landscape to grab the flag at the end of the race in the hopes of being the fastest. At 45 minutes after the hour, participate in a snowball fight against evil snowmen across the Wonderland. Snowmen will come alive and rush after anyone who passes by, pelting them with snowballs. To get the grand prize of the new Breen Dreadnought Cruiser, you'll have to take part in the race event. Check out the link in the show notes on the list of rewards that can be won, including your very own Snowconian. Has anyone seen the event snow, snow far? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Yes. yes, I've I've pretty much played all the all of them, you know, all the new ones, which is really good. And I've been eyeing up the new items in the event store. I've got my eye on a candy cane batleth. Oh, I got my. Oh. Yeah. And the lollipop lurper. Mm-hmm. It's got to be brilliant. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, and the hot caramel machine. Oh, I got that. Ooh. That that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I want one of them in real life. Say hello to my caramel friend. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do have one question, though, right? Right. So, um, the Snow Overlord, uh, whose idea Elijah? was Elijah? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> no, but whose whose idea was it to call him the Snow Overlord and not the Snowverlord? What is his next patch changes that? Like that seems to me like a, a massive oversight on the on the part of the development team. Or or, or should you say Snowversight? Indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is just getting ridiculous. Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just chill out. Guys, know, guys, guys we need to just let it go. Because okay. hey, you just... have just beaten that to death. <laughs> There's nothing left. <laughs> Ken is at it all evening. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Right, uh, hopefully this won't get a frosty reception, and let's just move on. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that ship, it is the Tier 6 Breen Dreadnought Cruiser. Maxing out at 59,000 hull at level 60. Comes with a 4-4 weapons layout. And pretty nice layout when it comes to bridge officer stations. A Lieutenant Tactical, Lieutenant Commander Science, a Commander Engineering, an Ensign Universal, and a Lieutenant Commander Universal and Command. Console modifications will get you a 3 Tactical, 5 Engineering, and 3 Science. One hangar bay loaded with Breen Bleth Chaos fighters and the standard Calm Array abilities. The console is an interesting one though. The ship log tells us that the Breen Cruiser comes equipped with the Energy Discharge Capacitors Universal Console. When activated, capacitors will immediately siphon power from nearby enemy starships. Each nearby foe will also grant you one stack of energy charge each second they are within 5 kilometers of you. After two seconds, you will fire a devastating electrical attack at your selected target each second for eight seconds. The damage of this attack scales with the number of energy stacks. The damage of this attack scales with the number of stacks of energy charge you have. The console provides a passive bonus to all power levels and maximum hull hit points. The console mod can be equipped on any Breen Starship in any console slot. You can only equip one of these mods. Check out the blog for the list of fighters available and the console bonus list. There are a few now that contribute to a set bonus of a two-piece cryonic reaction assembly plus Starship flow capacitors and countermeasure systems, the three-piece supercooled weapons arrays and minus to weapon power cost, and the four-piece enhanced cryonic relays plus max hit points and reduced charge time on Breen consoles. I like the look of this ship. I do. It's, Although oh, it is yeah. a space lobster. It is. Very true. But that's okay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. No, there isn't <laughs> anything wrong with that. In fact, I do like the Breen ships for the fact that they're a little bit odd. 
Yeah, they're typically asymmetrical. It's a great design, but uh, the stats, holy cow. I mean, this is a great ship. 59k hull at level 60. It's got a 15% shield bonus. It's just incredible. Like, the stats are superb. So, I and, and it's free. Exactly. Well, with a little bit of elbow grease, but yeah. <laughs> so, moving on to patch notes... This week's patch notes, in addition to Q's Winter Wonderland, were all about power balancing and quality of life issues. So a number of powers have been tweaked with a view to improving the server client performance, and most of these focused around procs and how often powers were checking for them. Powers that were affected include torpedo spread, beam fire at will, plasma explosions from embassy consoles, and neutronic torpedo spread, among others. Now, in some cases, the devs have attempted to even out the effects of the changes by changing base damage. For example, on the embassy consoles, the check for a proc now happens on every shot of a firing cycle not just the first. So that means where beam fire at will was getting more chances than a normal weapons fire, now all firing modes should benefit equally. Good news for anyone not running a beam boat, but because of the increased chance of a proc overall, the base damage of plasma explosions has been reduced by 18%. Another big change to powers is that chemocyte-laced weaponry will now only trigger off the main target of a torpedo rather than an entire spread, which should help server performance greatly. In that case, the chemocyte damage has also been increased in order to compensate. There are more powers that have been tweaked. I'd encourage you to read through the full list yourself to see if you will be affected. There were a couple of other fixes that snuck in this week as well. You can now mass delete messages in the in-game mail client. Woohoo! Woo-hoo! Oh, yeah. Which is great for anybody who spends any time in the exchange. Uh, also, project sliders, for instance, in reputations and fleet projects, will now start at the maximum value rather than zero for everything but dilithium, that is. And that should make contributions go a lot quicker. And I used that today and it threw me off guard because I'm so used to clicking, you know, contributes and then automatically sliding the slider over and it was already there. It did save a ton of time. Yeah, but I think you will have to watch it because sometimes sometimes you don't want to contribute everything. Maybe you don't want to give away all of your fleet spire provisions or whatever it is. So you have to watch out for that. But um, but on the whole, for most of the actions you do, it's going to really help. And finally, after we mentioned it a few weeks back, Cecily Adams has now been added to the memorial plaque. Now, I'm not saying it was down to us and our listener, RTK142, but, you know, well. As always, we'll leave a link to the patch notes in the blog post for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO250. And lastly, before we wrap up Star Trek Online news, here are some upcoming events to look forward to. As mentioned, Q's Winter Wonderland is running now until January 15th. There's a bonus mark weekend coming December 10th to 14th and a bonus XP weekend coming December 24th to 28th. As always, these events are subject to change without notice. Be sure to keep an eye on the in-game calendar or keep tuning in to Priority One Podcast for the latest updates. That wraps up Star Trek Online news this week, but let's open hailing frequencies for your STO feedback. Last week's community question was... With the winter event coming up, what do you think this year's promotional ship will be? And RTK142 commented via PriorityWinPodcast.com I'm hoping the winter ship is going to be some kind of escort, but I'm betting it's going to be something like a cruiser or a dreadnought. I'm thinking they'll be sticking with Breen, but maybe the Ferengi worked out some kind of deal with Q, like they did with Horizons? 
Sean Newboy posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com, I want a true Tier 6 science ship that the non-feds can use. That means secondary deflector. I love the Captain's Holiday song by Kenna. Thank you very much. I think you guys should try videos from time to time. Love the show, everyone. Videos could be an idea. Gavin Runeblead also commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, the Admiralty system has a card for the Breen Resurrect Dreadnought, but currently there's no way for players to earn it. My bet is that that's the Wintership. I like the news about expanding the show and bringing people back. Very much looking forward to how that plays out. Each week, our social media channels are busy with your thoughts, opinions, and suggestions for the show. Please keep them coming. Reach out to us on facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Priority One Pod or shoot an email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now let's check in with Cookie and Elijah and find out what's on screen. Hello, Captains. I'm Cookie. And I'm Elijah. And this week, we're reviewing Encounter at Farpoint, written by D.C. Fontana and Gene Roddenberry, and directed by Corey Allen. This episode first aired September 28, 1987. Elijah, why don't you start by giving us a quick summary? All right, Captain. So I won't bore you with a step-by-step of what happens in this episode because my guess is that most of you have already seen it several times. But ultimately, the story begins not long into the maiden voyage of the new NCC-1701D Galaxy-class starship, graced with the name Enterprise. It's not long before the conflict begins and a very powerful being identifies himself and his species as Q demanding that humanity return to its solar system, accusing the human race of being too infantile and dangerous. At the same time, a cruel conspiracy is happening at Farpoint Station, and how Picard and his crew handle the situation will determine Q's ultimate judgment on humanity and its right to explore the galaxy. Cookie, why don't you tell us uh, some nuggets of info that you might have found out about this first episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Well, this was the first episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and was huge for Star Trek fans since Star Trek had been off the air for 18 years. That is a long time, the longest gap between any of the Star Trek series, including the one that will be coming up in 2017. I highly recommend watching Chaos on the Bridge. It's a documentary made by William Shatner. It goes into a lot about what went on behind the scenes in making this series, and even a little bit about this specific episode. It's on Netflix if anyone's interested. Encounter at Farpoint was originally supposed to be one hour with commercials, but Paramount insisted on a two-hour pilot. Gene Roddenberry initially objected to this idea, but he eventually gave in and added the Q storyline. There was a brief cameo from DeForest Kelly who played an aged Admiral McCoy. This was a late addition to the script and it was Gene Roddenberry's idea. Not only was DeForest honored to be a part of this groundbreaking episode, but he also refused to take any more than the current SAG salary. Gene Roddenberry said he could have held this up for a lot of money and he didn't. Gene was incredibly happy with the scene, and this ended up being DeForest's final television appearance before he passed away on June 11, 1999. He did appear on Deep Space Nine, but that was archived footage that was used. This episode was also nominated for a Hugo Award for Best Dramatic 
presentation in 1988. Admirals, William Shatner has been doing several documentaries about Star Trek, but Chaos on the Bridge uh, seems to be his first into what the next generation meant, and it's a really good one. It's also... Um, uh, whoever did the illustration for the segues, that comic style, uh, was it's just a great touch on it. Uh, so, like Cookie said, highly recommended. Check it out. You can catch it on Netflix here in the United States. I'm not sure if it's going to be uh, elsewhere, like in the UK. So here are a few other fun facts brought to us by Ex Astris Sentia. The engineering room on the Enterprise-D is actually a redress of the set used on Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. The Battle Bridge is also a redress of the Enterprise-A bridge from Voyage Home. When Picard is in his ready room on the Battle Bridge, on the desk is an actual toy from the time that you can only get at the time. An Astro Thunder produced by Tandy. You can see it really clearly as Riker exits the ready room on the Battle Bridge. So, Cookie, what did you think of this episode overall? Well, it pretty much started out with the introduction of Q, and I feel like I'm the only one who feels this way, but I didn't really like this episode at first. It made me misjudge Q. He was really unlikable. The obnoxious- He's always been unlikable. No! Not, not necessarily, but this episode was- he was like, I really did not like him. The obnoxious trial scene, the disgust he showed for humanity, and I know it brought up some important questions about the human race and there was a whole nother storyline, but I first watched this episode when I was a young girl and I hated Q for years and years based on this episode. Even as an adult, all I remembered about this episode was the Q part. So when I would select episodes to rewatch, I would always avoid watching any of the Q episodes. It wasn't until I actually sat down and forced myself to watch the other ones that I realized how much I liked Q. He's pretty awesome. So, I feel a little bitter about this one, and if I introduce Star Trek to a new viewer, I never start with this episode, just in case if that happens with them. Although that being said, since I had to watch it again for this review, I do admit the cue parts were relatively short compared to the rest of the episode, and I did enjoy the other storyline a lot. Strange occurrences on a mysterious space station that turned out to have a dirty little secret. And along with that, I liked just seeing all the characters that have grown to love for seven seasons being established for the first time. Data's attempts to fit in and learn about the intricacies of humanity, Worf proudly representing his Klingon heritage on a ship full of aliens from his perspective, Riker trying to impress Picard and Beverly is not trying to impress Picard, Deanna Troy showcasing her Betazoid abilities while simultaneously trying to hide her emotions and concerns for Riker, and if you're wondering about that initial reaction between Troy and Riker, I highly recommend the Imzadi novel by Peter David for a backstory behind that, even though it's not technically considered canon. But the audio version is read by Jonathan Frakes himself, so there must be something credible about it if he's lending his voice to the story. And for me, it added a deeper appreciation for the relationship between Deanna and Riker throughout their entire storyline. How about you, Elijah? So many of us have watched this episode several times now, like you pointed out. And having watched it yet again for preparation for this segment, I actually found myself pleasantly surprised at how engaging it still is. The first half hour alone completely draws you in, and you get to learn quite quickly about the type of leader Jean-Luc Picard is going to be. A stark contrast to the Kirk bravado. Picard is calm, patient, 
intelligent, and calculated. Worf and Tasha really are the voices from the past era of Trek, the, the TOS action of, of shoot first and ask questions later. Now, there were a few quirky moments during the first act. First of all, why did the only Latino to ever be on the bridge of the Enterprise get booted off so quickly? What gives? Yo quiero. Torres, he gets frozen by Q. Who? What are you, who are you talking about? Tor the one Latino ever to be on the bridge of the Enterprise oh. gets frozen immediately. Gosh. Yo quiero un capitán cubano. Yeah, no. I mean, I mean, unless you count. Are you sure it's the only one? Torres from from Voyager, but she's half she's half Spanish. She's like Klingon and Spanish. I, I want a Cuban. So. I want a Cuban captain. And then second of all is Tasha's outbursts. They're they're almost cringeworthy. A little. I I Denise Crosby is awesome. I love her. She's great. She's doing great on Star Trek Online. Uh, but Tasha's outbursts in that first in this first episode are just it just I'm like Ugh. as the episode progresses and we start to get more involved in the issues at Farpoint Station. I think that the the introduction of characters like Riker, Crusher, Wesley, and Jordy were done very well. Their exposition isn't heavy-handed or or contrived to fit the plot in some way, and some of these stories are left open-ended such as Troy and Riker's relationship. What's all that about? Or the relationship between Jean-Luc and Beverly. Was he responsible for her husband's death? Why would he be so concerned about working with her? We just have to wait and find out. Even more impressive is that if you watch this episode, then, let's say, jump to all good things. Everyone is pretty much the same, and I love them for that. Riker is still Riker. Deanna is still Deanna. Nobody has compromised who they are as the character. And again, of course, some things felt a little forced, such as DeForest Kelly's cameo. It really had nothing to do with the story. Compared to, for instance, James Duhan's appearance in TNG's episode Relics, but I think some of these compromises had to be made in order to, to lock in that this was, in fact, Star Trek. Overall, despite, you know, a few minor quirks, and including Zorn's character's annoying voice uh, the whole time, Captain! Uh, it was driving me insane. My opinion is that this was a great first episode and did a really amazing job introducing us to the new crew of this new Enterprise. So, that brings us to this week's community question. What was your first impression of the Next Generation cast? So, Elijah, what was your favorite line from the episode? So, um, it's probably when Worf gets yelled at for pointing a phaser at the view screen. <laughs> and uh, he, he replies with something along the lines of, um, I will endeavor to do better. Like, he... For, <laughs> man, it, it, you know what it is, is that... I. When you see Michael Dorn on stage, and, and he, he tends to be a, a little arrogant, um, I wonder how he felt internally having to be so submissive. Like, that's what I'm thinking about when I heard him deliver that line. Um, is, I wonder how much that pissed off And Michael as a Dorn. Klingon, too. If, if and as a, a Klingon, yeah. yeah. How about yours, Cookie? What was your favorite quote? Mine was when Picard yelled, But don't touch anything! That's when... 
Captain Picard allows Wesley to explore the bridge for the first time after first yelling at him for being on the turbo lift. But then he changes his mind once he finds out that it's Dr. Crusher's son. And so he's like, oh, it's okay. But don't touch anything. I, I like that. That was funny. Now I get why that scene <laughs> from Family Guy is so funny when, they, when they're in the drive-thru. You'll get nothing and like it. <laughs> because that's exactly what he did in the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, that wraps up this week's on-screen review of Star Trek The Next Generation Encounter at Farpoint. Now, we bring back a familiar voice with the first of a monthly literary review by Jace. Hello again, Captains. This is Jace, and I'm pleased to be back for this landmark episode of Priority One Podcast. To kick off my new Treklet 101 segment, I'm reviewing Volume 3 of the ongoing Star Trek comic series from IDW. This third volume contains two story arcs, The Return of the Archons, and The Truth About Tribbles, each related to an original series episode. For those who have heard my reviews of the first two volumes, you may recall that perhaps my favorite story arc thus far was Vulcan's Vengeance which was the first JJ-verse comic story not tied to an existing Trek storyline from the Prime Universe. I had hoped they were branching out from that point on, but so far, not so much. Return of the Archons deviates significantly from the original episode in what seems like set up for future storylines related to Into Darkness. It's a more action-oriented take on the story, which is not surprising for JJ-verse Trek, of course, but it also eliminates much of the human element in the people of Beta 3. The Festival, from TOS, a sort of The Purge-like element, is nowhere to be seen, and the drama of the last act is much different. The comic has a bit of extra backstory on Sulu, but nothing too in-depth. I am curious where they're going with the hints of what I assume is going to be Section 31. The Truth About Tribbles, on the other hand, is a total departure from The Trouble with Tribbles. While it does still feature Klingons and Tribbles, it instead shows us the apparent homeworld of the Tribbles and some insight into the evolutionary reason for their unusual life cycle. The secondary story, which takes over in the last act, follows Scotty's continued experiments with transwarp beaming. This manages to pick up a loose end from the first movie and also sets up even more plot points leading to Into Darkness. Ultimately, these continue to be reasonably well-written and executed for what they are. Looking ahead, I'm pleased to see that they will be moving away from adaptations of original series Trek episodes for the next few volumes. It does not seem to be their strength thus far. For this Trek Lit 101 segment, my current plan is to continue through the IDW series as it runs up through Into Darkness and towards Star Trek Beyond. I'll be curious to see if they drop any hints in the post-Into Darkness comics as they seem to be doing here beforehand. And now back to Kenna and Elijah to wrap up the show. Well, that wraps up episode 250, another milestone episode for Priority One Podcast. Before we close the show, we want to send a special thanks to our Patreon supporters, Isaiah Dorsch, Navy Boat Slew, Stephen Humphrey, and Matt Miracle. But before we go, here's a reminder of this week's community question. What was your first impression of the new TNG cast? 
Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for our community question in the comment section on our website, on our Facebook page, or even with Twitter reply. And we're now taking submissions for our end of year blooper special. So you're gonna wanna send Kenna an email with your favorite blooper along with the episode it came from and timestamp if you're so inclined. And then tune in later towards the end of December for the final cut. Kenna's email again if you wanna be a yeoman, if you wanna complain about something, or for the bloopers is incoming at priority1podcast.com. Be sure to catch our episodes every Monday morning by pointing your podcast catchers to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com and stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com forward slash priorityonepodcast and give us a like. Or check us out on Twitter at our new handle at priorityonepod. You can even join the Priority One Podcast chat in Star Trek Online. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space priority one. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Covering all things going on in the verse in Space Sims. If you like this show, then listening to Guard Frequency is the logical choice. Thanks to our graphic artists, Romulan Ale and Jason Smith. And if you enjoy our comics, the creator of our comic series, Jonathan Towery, can be commissioned at Towery Designs, that's T-O-W-R-Y Designs, deviantart.com. Thanks to all our bloggers and their managing editor, L. To the writer of our prelude dramas, Jake Morgan. To our video editor, Jerry Tillman. And to consultant Midnight Shadow 7 of Hollow Sweet Media for supporting this show. Thanks to our audio team led by Michael McDonald. With assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, Asmaria De Post, and James Calvin. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage. Each of whom have their own phaser pulse cannons and micro photon torpedoes. <laughs> photon torpedoes. You were going so well. <laughs> oh, I know. I was. Di- I was g- oh, never mind. Da, 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 da. That's a really long sentence, and I'm gonna have from, to start from the top. Because Elijah says I have to start from the top, so I'm gonna do it again. <laughs> Hi, Elijah. Each of whom have their own phaser pulse cannons and micro photon. Tor- oh my god, that's so hard. Photon. Photon. Micro. But you try it. Micro photon. Micro photon torpedoes. Yeah. Okay. So everybody could do it with me. It's cool. <sighs> Can I just go from each of whom? I'm going to go from each of whom. Go for each of whom. That's good. He's not here. We wouldn't see anything. I know. Okay. 
Of course, ultimately, if you decide to run with it, there are probably better configurations for it than a cruiser-to-carrier transformation, but I'll leave that advice to the science... <laughs> Pineapples. Pineapples. What? I can't even remember what word that was. Experts. Experts, okay. The strip log tells us that the Breen Cruiser comes equipped with the energy discharge... Doing that again. I was on a roll. You can do it, dude. I can do it. I'm waiting for your normal line that goes after that. I'm not saying it works. Ken, I nearly did. You can do it. You can help us, Mark Garelli. You can go on. Yeah, well, let's just move on for that one. Because we were, because we moved hey, on hey, from Mark, Henson. Never give up. Never oh, surrender. Yeah. Oh God. Oh. Uh -huh. Skiffy wins. <laughs> 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 For those of you listening in chat, we had a we had a bet going on 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 who could make who could get the first Galaxy Quest quote into uh, yep. this week's show. And I think Skiffy has nailed it. So. Mm. Yep. Well then, Skiffy. The rest of us will just go home. Yeah. Actually, I hit you with one right out of the gate, but I don't think you caught onto it. He's holding it upside down. <laughs> mm. Mm. No, I did not catch that. Right. So I can keep going. Or if we're going home, I'll just let Skiffy take over. <laughs>